everybody. Talk about it outdoors live in the Wilson studio. I am your host, Alex DeBoard. As always, Nick Wilson joining me in studio and live and in person. We got a great one set up for you tonight. It's been a long time coming, and man, I am jacked for this one. Y'all stick with us. Pull up a chair and set a while. All right, this episode is brought to you tonight by Legendary Leasing, offering deer, turkey, and duck hunting opportunities in Kentucky, Illinois, and Missouri. Check them out on Instagram at Legendary Leasing or email Alan Bullman at Alan2974 at gmail.com. Nick, tonight's guest comes from a long lineage of amazing outdoorsmen and conservationists. His family's storied past speaks for itself, and his father and uncle are certified big buck hammers. Uh, through the years of progression, passion, and hard work, the charismatic and humble man that joins us tonight has undoubtedly began to carve his own name in the outdoor industry by bringing an invigorating and new age of delivery to the multiple platforms that they hold. It is indeed an honor and privilege for me and you to welcome tonight to talk about it outdoors. Outdoors. <laughs> I'm nervous as a tack. Uh, Matt Drury with Drury Outdoors. Matt, how are you? I'm good, man. That's going to be hard to live up to. That was quite the introduction. I'm well, have to I, I got a little nervous there. <laughs> I'm, I, I got a little nervous there. So uh, it yeah, is uh, like like I told you before we got on the air. It is it has been a a long time coming. We've been wanting to speak with you for quite some time, and after watching the the growth that Jury Outdoors has had in my lifetime, because Nick and I both are 35, 36 years old, and to be able to see what you guys have done throughout the years and watch you grow and now see you kind of take over a part of the reins along with all the young guns there uh y'all's uh step stepson i guess is wade as you'll call it he's into the family and and he's always been there in the videos and stuff that we've watched and along with taylor you guys have built a you built a dream team and you know it goes back to the dream season days for you so I appreciate that. Yeah, it takes it takes a team, honestly. I mean, we couldn't do it without all the help. And, and uh, the, you know, one of the things that Mark and Terry, you know, back in 1989, they saw the, the need for a team of, of you know, like-minded individuals to kind of get behind them and, and, and help go on these hunts and, and do the traveling and, and put together enough content to be able to, you know, back in those days, put out one, you know, VHS title and uh, it's come a long ways, but the, the one constant through the 32 years of the company has always been that team aspect. And I think you have had a few of our guys on like Greg, uh, Greg Lessinger, Sean Lundy. And, and we've had guys like that come and go and girls, you know, throughout the 32 history, 32 year history, and they're key to our success. So it's not just Mark and Terry and, and now me and Taylor, it's, it's the whole group and the collective effort that, uh, that makes, uh, you know, makes everything tick. And it's always been a family atmosphere for you guys. You watch the the hunts and from the turkey seasons all the way through deer season and the work that's put in that you you put out on deer cast from week to week. And when you share that, you're always together with family and you're always doing it as a collective core. And you keep that tight-knit core together. And that's something that's always stood out to me with the juries. It was never about one individual. It was about the entire team effort to make it successful. Even more than that, it's, it's we try to make it about the animal and and you know about the deer, about the turkeys. It's it's more about the animal than it is about us. So it, it that that always uh, shines through in the end. 
you know, and, and the animal is definitely always going to be more interesting and the stories on, on the history and, and the years that it might take to catch up to a big buck. I mean, the, those storylines, you know, that's kind of, I think what really made the guys famous and, and, you know, the two thousands, the late nineties into the two thousands, it was the storytelling and it was always about the quarry that they, you know, that they chased. When you first got into the, to the filming side of it with, with Terry and Mark and, you got to see the work that they put into it. And I'm sure it's changed dramatically from what they had to do in the very beginning. But when you first got your first taste of that, did you think that was something you would be doing at your age now? No, for sure. It's, it was not something that, you know, back in those days. So it t- Taylor and I are quite a bit apart as far as age right. goes. So I, I just turned 40 this past year. She's still a young pup. And when I was, growing up, they were just starting the company. So about the same time that I started hunting with dad, they started filming and I've never hunted without a camera person in tow, whether it was him in those first five, 10 years, or or whether it's now, you know, Scott or somebody that films with me, I've never gone hunting without a camera person. So hunting was always something a lot different for me than I think it probably is for maybe you guys or, or your listeners out there, because I had always had it attached to this thing that dad was doing. Right. You know, it was always, we, there was a lot of deer and Turkey that we didn't kill in those first five years of me trying to just get anything killed because it wasn't on camera or it, it didn't line up right with the footage or, you know, they always say a camera saves a life you know, nine times out of 10, right, right. It, it seemed to happen to me 10 times out of 10 when I was growing up. So it, it represented probably not the best memory in that regard, as far as the filming side, like the side that everybody loved about Mark and Terry, I probably didn't care as much about that side because honestly, two, two things, it kind of took dad away from the house a lot. I mean, he was gone all the time. And then when we were together, it was always about that camera being front and center because they were trying to get this thing off the ground. Uh, I, you know, looking back, I totally understand it, but um, you know, there was a lot of pressure on those guys back then. So, so it, it just represented something a little bit different and I had to learn how to fall back in love with it. So, um, you know, hunted five years or so before I killed my first deer. And once I did, I kind of took a, I was, I think I ended up, I was 15 or 16 and I took a break it's like, all right, I did it. I showed you I could do it, you know, and, and I went and had a good time and finished out my high school years and then went to college. And, you know, somewhere along the line in college is where I started coming back to it because I, what I didn't realize is in those early years, they were doing things called uh, EDLs, edit decision lists. So back then it was linear editing, which means you had to actually splice videotape together. (laughs) And once you spliced it together, you couldn't go back and fix something a minute before. Like you'd have to erase everything to go fix that mistake. So they didn't have a studio. They didn't have, you know, fancy editing equipment. They had to pay for their studio time and it was really expensive. So in preparation for that, you had to do an EDL going into it. And I, I, I bet I was nine, 10 years old when I started doing EDLs with dad and logging footage, logging source tapes and creating the edits. And I didn't realize it at the time what it was really doing for me, but it was creating. I always had a creative side. And I think I was, I get that from my mom. She's very artistic and really creative, but 
it kind of coupled together with editing because that, that was what they were doing. And I was spending time with dad and, and I just kind of picked up on it. So it was always around when they were shooting the, you know, their, their interviews. And I don't know, I just started picking up on it. I was there at the studio sessions and it was more out of a, you sit around something long enough, you can't help, but it sink in. Right. And so by the time I got to college, I started doing, you know, I was kind of a graphic design major and I then ended up taking some electives that were editing classes and production classes. And I was light years ahead of the other kids in the class. And what I didn't really realize is I had learned all this stuff on the fly back a decade before. And I was getting a, a real classroom setting in the real world back then. And it, and it kind of set me down a path once I got to college. So I started interning for those guys on the, on every break, you know, uh, spring break and winter break and summer, I was always working for Mark and Terry. And, and from there, I started to kind of fall back in love with it. And, you know, they, they, uh, they offered me a job. uh, Well, Mark offered me a job there my last break uh, before I graduated. And um, it was probably another year. It was probably another two years before I hunted. So there's like a 10 year time span where I never hunted. I, I had filmed a little bit once I, you know, when I was working for them in college, but that was it. I, uh, so it took me a while to come back around to it. And, and, you know, I, I finally did, but I think you got to have it on your own terms. You got to be in love with it on your own terms. And it was never on my terms in the, in the early years. And as a kid growing up, when you got a camera in your face every time, it just right. wasn't, I didn't want nothing to do with it, honestly, in the, in the start. So it took me a long time to come back around to it. And this is a long winded answer and, and a roundabout way of answering your question, but it, it, I finally did. And now I can't imagine not doing it. You know, I can't imagine not being outdoors and the time that I spend a field is cherished more now than ever right. because right. I'm stuck in the office so much or, you know, I live in the suburbs of St. Louis. Like it's not, I'm not out there as much as I would like to. So it's kind of come full circle where I'm trying to get out there. So the whole time you you grew up around all that stuff, you never got nervous at any point being camera shy or anything. I, I'm assuming, right? No, I was. That was for that was part of the problem. Gr- growing up and you know going through puberty and all that stuff on camera, I just hated it. I absolutely right. hated it. Now, Taylor, she is a natural born. She was from the time she was a little bitty baby. She was just perfect for the camera, right? She just grew up around it and 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 the camera loves her. She, she does a great job. It took me a long time to get to that point. And I see it. I understand a lot more now because I have a son and a daughter and my son just turned seven. My daughter's about to turn five and I see it with them. He, every time I turn the camera on, he is as shy as it gets. My daughter, she's an actress, you know, she's, (laughs) so you either kind of have it or you don't have it. And I had to learn how to, 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 to love that part of it too. What got you over that hurdle? doing it a lot yeah, just <laughs> yeah. Repetition. repetition over and over yeah yeah it, it really was and it, you know they say you got to do something ten thousand hours before you get really proficient at it and i i'm in there now i think i got about ten thousand and two. so i you know i feel like i'm i'm in a groove anymore and it and and i'm used to it but it took a long time to get there does matt ever get out and hunt by himself any without the camera or anything nothing i've never never been hunting in my entire life without a camera Wow, isn't that amazing? That is, well, to me, it's a very different and interesting concept for anyone that's out there that didn't get to grow up. You know, we we have this, 
depiction in our mind watching you grow up hunting that this is the greatest you know childhood that you could ever ask for but you grew up in a different time when I mean it was basically like right around the same time we did there was no social media there was no recognition for what you were doing and you had no grasp of what the outside world's view of you was whether it was good bad or indifferent you didn't have that to see immediately and I think growing up in that time period gave you a different kind of view that this camera's in my face and it's an aggravation, whereas now it's almost a, a constant in everything we do. Yeah, you don't even think twice about it now, but back then it was an aggravation. And I, I remember, you know, a family uh, um, family get-togethers, all of us had a, uh, like a handy cam camera at that mm -hmm. time, you know, and they were big. They were about this big. Like and carrying a I brick around. <laughs> each, each family had one. And that was, that was different. Like having that camera out, it was fun. And you were, but these cameras that Mark and Terry would go hunting with these AG 450s. I mean, these things were massive and it was just, I don't know, man. It was just, uh, it was, I get it. Like I said, now I understand it, but back then it was something that I just felt like I didn't, you know, it was almost in the way, if that yeah. made sense. It Absolutely. was in the way of us enjoying this thing together. Because the other thing about it, back then, you got to understand, like, the industry was just really in its infancy back then. They were creating it. They were part of a group that really, you know, was creating this thing that you see today. And so it... For them, I think they had a different persona on camera as well. So I remember them practicing over and over and over their their deliveries and their, you know, what they were going to say. And because of editing and because of the way that they had to edit in that linear style, they would try to do one take, you know, and, and it might be this long thing that they had written out and they try to do it all at once. That might have taken them 50 times to get it on camera, you know, so. I, like I said, just those early days, it was just kind of an aggravation, like you said. But the other thing that was tough about it, hunting was not the same back then as it is now. Right. So we'd be lucky to see a deer, a doe, anything, you know, it, turkeys were really starting to come on strong. So that was starting to get a little better. But deer, I mean, you never, back, we'd hunt behind the house there and we'd never see anything. Like I just remember sitting a lot and not seeing much of anything. So now, you, you know, you could take a, a kid out and, you know, you got food plots and you got ways to try to get deer in front of a kid to make it seem interesting. Right. It, it may not be a big buck like you guys got on the wall there, but it, if it was a doe or a couple does, at least you're seeing something, you know, we were, you know, rarely seeing anything or having encounters. So you couple that with that aggravation of a camera and it, to me hunting in my childhood, it was just something that wasn't as enjoyable because the overall experience was different. Like I said, I had to kind of come back to it and fall in love with it at a much different period of my life and a much different period of, of the company's life. That, that is probably the most, I guess, eloquent way to have put it that the camera was the aggravation to kind of hinder the enjoyment that you wanted to have with with your dad and we didn't have a camera stuck in our right. face growing up you know we were we've been hunting since we were were children and going to the woods with my dad and stuff is still some of the most fondest memories that i have and i think we take away from that a lot now with the cell phone age it's almost flipped the script 
So kids go to the woods with their dad now, and they got to have that phone in their hand, and they got to have a tablet. And where the aggravation when you were coming up was a camera in your face, now it's a cell phone in in our dad's face or whatever, and they see that. And and I think that's it's just crazy to me to look at the technology and the way that it shifted and molded and changed in the outdoor industry. And that's a I, I love the way that you put that, and I appreciate you sharing that side of it with us for sure. Yeah, it's just the reality of it. And it's, it's you know, like I said, I, I wouldn't change it because it, it it made me who I am now. And it's it's why I love hunting so much now. But I did have to come to terms. I had it had to be on my terms. And and dad didn't pressure me. You know, once I killed that first year and I had killed a, a turkey or two as well before that. But he, he, it wasn't like he was pressuring me. It just was like, hey, you want to go hunting? And I'm like, no, nah, I'm, I'm good. And, and he was that was also the late 90s and early 2000s. That would have been the pinnacle of of their rise from the VHS days where they were just selling VHS titles to say like uh, your local rental shelf. Yep. You know, that's how most guys used to get the, the yep. The tapes were going to the local rental shelf and, and renting it. Well, somewhere around the mid to late nineties, they actually started doing a deal with, um, um, Ken marketing, which is a company that had partnerships with like NRA and outdoor life and field and stream. And in that period, they were creating VHS and DVD titles for these affinity marketing programs. So basically some you'd get, you know, if you were a part of NRA, they'd send you this, you know, VHS title and uh and if you kept it they'd keep sending them to you and you'd pay for it and you'd keep getting more if you sent it back uh they'd quit sending them to you well we did millions of of tapes and dvds during that period and so mark and terry were very very hard at work in those years i mean they, they always have been but like that was a very important stretch so by the time i came came back around to it we were just getting ready to do our first season of television and that took us on a whole new kind of cap catapulted us to a whole different era of the company. But that middle part of our history, that those years, those guys were really grinding it out. So I, I kind of stepped away at a similar time period where he was traveling even more to get more content and film more hunts. And it just kind of worked out where we, we all kind of came back at the same time to each other. Where did you what at what point did you feel like you stepped in and said, "Man, I'm I'm going to drive this in a little bit different direction for the younger people or or a um, a way of putting it on social media or something like that." When did that kind of come around full circle for you? Well, it's it's always a collective effort and, and you know, Mark and Terry have always continued to try to innovate, but somewhere along the line, I think uh, you know, I like you said I step in there, but Mark is still very much always on top of these things oh, yeah. and, and trends and wanting to stay kind of relevant on top of things. And so much credit to them. If I'd bring something to them or, or maybe they brought something, you know, we collectively talk about it. We, we always end up making these decisions as a group and together. And, you know, I've been there 17 years, almost 18 years now. And I was an editor for the first probably five or six. And somewhere along the line, I just started taking on more roles and, and okay, deal with the website as well, deal with the team, deal with the sponsors. And then all of a sudden it was, it what there wasn't much time for editing because there was all these other things. And I think we all recognized pretty early on that if we didn't jump on board to the social media platforms that were be, becoming available, especially Facebook, if we weren't going to be relevant there, we at some point were not going to be relevant anymore. 
And so we kind of got a head start on a lot of the other people in the industry recognizing that and trying to build our following and audience there. And it's just, you got to treat it as one more viewer. You know, we have the TV audience. Well, we used to have the VHS audience. We used to then have DVDs yep. and then we had TV and now we got TV and social. So there's always this evolution. And our goal is always to be the biggest and best and represent the outdoors in a, in a ethical way that we can all be proud of no matter where we're at. So if there's some new medium that pops up tomorrow, you can bet that we're going to look at it and look at it hard and see that we need to be there. And that's, that's always, you know, so I'd say it was probably a decade ago when we really started focusing in on social media. Now, when it comes to the, to the social media aspect and the, I guess the, the whole scope of it, do you ever just want to turn it off? And, and how yes. do you, how do you get away from that? <laughs> uh, it's tough because especially, you know, I mentioned my family and, and we're, you know, at a young age, it's tough because we know as a company, the time of day that you need to be on there, when you need to post and when things will, because that algorithm is a funny thing. I mean, you got to hit it at certain times and, and in certain ways, or else you're going to quickly kind of fall off the, the back of the bus there. And the difficult part for me personally is that those times that you need to be on it are also the only times I'm with the kids basically all day. That's right. So I, I don't post as much as I should, um, but I've made a conscious effort to try to be more present when I'm here. And and still, it's a fine line of still trying to post a couple of times a week. I, try, I do a lot more stories, Instagram stories, because yep, that's yep. easy. That shows your everyday life. Like I, I try to stay up on that, but put, you know, putting a post out there, you know, I just try to think of something that's relevant or, you know, content that's engaging and that takes time and effort. So that also takes time and time away from my family. So I, I try not to do too much of it when I'm, when it comes to my personal, you know, pages, but as a company, I mean, we got Taylor's very instrumental there and, and we got a team of people all young, you know, 20 something year olds, you know, um, early thirties that work on that stuff nonstop. And, and Mark and I are, are involved from a standpoint of, you know, helping to curate content and, and give it kind of a voice, so to speak of, right. Hey, here's the types of things that we like to talk about. Here's the types of things we like to stay away from, but the social team does a fantastic job and they take it from there. And I think that's been the thing that you have as a company survived and I guess thrived in is bringing quality, clean family and faith based entertainment to a country that, has kind of went away from that in a lot of aspects. You know, it's it's became a, a negative world that we live in, and the jury team as a whole, and, and I don't ever want to single anybody out in, in it because it is a very instrumental role for everyone that's on your team. You've all done a very good job of keeping that composure and not allowing the, the demographic or the viewpoints of the world to shift what you guys do as a whole. And that's something – that when Nick and I started this show, we wanted to be very cautious of that we're going to do it our way to be a positive in the industry where there's so much negativity out there and we don't have to cuss every other breath to make a quality show and we want people to be able to enjoy it with their children. And just like if you were watching this back, we would want you to be able to sit around with your kids and be able to enjoy it. And y'all have done a fantastic job of that in creating content that people can sit down with a family and watch together. And, and I, I applaud you guys for that very much. I thank you for it. 
Well, I appreciate that. That's something that Mark and Terry, you know, their values from their parents, the Ralph and Lucille, and, and it's kind of, it kind of works its way down and it's not by mistake. I mean, we have a really close knit family you see, you know, Mark's family and Terry's family, but we have a much bigger family, right. yeah, extended family. You know, the lurks are a part of that. And, 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 and we have a couple other branches of the family that are, that are there too. And it is, I mean, we cut up, we have a great time together, but, but ultimately family, it's not a facade. Like that's, that's truly in our DNA right. and it was instilled into them and they passed it on to us. So um, that that's important to us to make sure that anybody can come and watch what we're doing and enjoy it. And, and more than anything, learn from our mistakes, you know, in the hunt, you know, where it all comes back to is trying to teach somebody to become a better hunter based on the mistakes that we made in the field. And we've made plenty of them. So it, it has worked itself out over the years that we got lucky in the fact that we live where we live, you know, good genetics and deer hunting and there's great Turkey populations. And, and, you know, we got lucky in that fact, but other than that, it's just, okay, now how do we showcase the God's greatest gifts right in front of us? How do we showcase that to the audience? and uh, be true to ourselves. And that's, that's something that, you know, Mark and Terry uh, pride themselves on. And we feel like the team does a good job of representing us because that's, that's the tough part when you, you know, we got 50, 60 people out there representing us Mm -hmm. and we don't, we don't hold their hand. I don't know what they're doing on their day-to-day lives, but you know, we, we feel like we try to pick good representative representatives. Sometimes, uh, you know, somebody might go astray or somebody might've done something stupid and we got to part ways, but, you know, by and large over 32 years, we've had a pretty good run of, of really quality, quality individuals that represent not only us, but our partners and outdoors in, in a great way. You guys have probably seen a lot more than most people that we'll ever probably even be able to talk to, but you guys probably started off, like you said, with VHS, then you moved on to probably what TNT then you moved to Outdoor Channel, stuff like that. How much has YouTube changed that for you guys where you broadcast at? Yeah, YouTube's interesting. We, you know, we've had a YouTube channel for a long time. I think we have something like 170,000 subscribers. About four or five years ago, we really put an emphasis on it and, and really grew it. And then here in the last year or two, we've seen a little bit of a – it's not quite – reaching the numbers that we want it to. So we've put a renewed focus on it. And we actually started a program this year called Deer Season 21. And we're jumping into that semi-live uh, um, fold, so to speak. Because one of the things that we noticed, you know, we put all of our best content on TV. Right. And we still have four TV shows. We're three on Outdoor Channel, one on the Sportsman's Channel. Uh, you know, so most of our best content has been there for the last 15, 16 years. Well, we wanted to to kind of change the way we thought about it and maybe start on YouTube, start on DeerCast, and then work its way to television because they're very different audiences. That's what we had to really find out. It's it's two different audiences. You guys may, I'm just saying for an example, say, say you watch it on only YouTube or only digital platforms, but say your dad watches everything on outdoor channel or sportsman channel or pursuit or whatever. Well, we're reach, we're not reaching everybody then. 
Yet, you know, if all of our best content is only in one spot, we're not reaching everybody. And that's not what we want. We want to be able to reach as many people as we can and share as many tips and tactics as we possibly can to everybody. So this year, we're going after it where we have dedicated uh, editors that are working around the clock. And when something dies this year, you're going to see it within a next day or two, three days, four days, whatever it may be. So we're in that semi-live fold because you know, it's, it's, you know, that's the way that a lot of the younger generations get in their content. And I think there's a large group of people that, you know, the, the, the you know, maybe it's the hunting public or maybe it's meat eater, or maybe it's um, Midwest whitetail is the only thing they know. And they're like, yeah, oh, those jury guys, I, you know, I don't know much about them or maybe they've never heard of us and they only know about Taylor. You, you know what I mean? Right. Because of social media. So we're missing, reaching a whole group of people. And so we're going to focus on it this year. You're going to see the semi-live stuff and then we're going to re-edit it and kind of work it as a television edit that'll hit TV next year, like always. So I think deer season 21, look out for this year. It's going to hit YouTube and DeerCast, and you'll see some teasers and previews that'll hit the social media channels, kind of telling you where to find that content. But we're going to be doing two or three updates a week from here on to the end of the season. What's the name of it again? Deer season 21. And we're going to make it easy. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, and I think that's something you touched on that the, the semi-live basis and how young people get their content. Let's say Terry shoots a, a, a buck 70 in, you know, Missouri. You guys take pictures of it. Somebody somewhere leaks a picture of that out to social media that night or even the next day. Well, it leaves a, I guess, a, kind of hidden parts of the story that before when those pictures got out back in the early days when email first came out you know it may have came out that mark killed a giant buck somewhere and it would be emailed around well you had to wait an entire year to see that story behind it and what you build on with that is a an ability to get the story in the correct manner out to people immediately and it gives them that quick satisfaction because let's face it the world we live in today everybody wants instant gratification snap of a finger those little eight 10 minute videos or what what sells now it's you know not the long production stuff i myself love to sit down and watch the entire backstory let's say uh, a bigfoot I, I think that was the deer that that mark was hunting years ago or it may have been terry i'm not sure which one it was but they hunted that whole story went into it and it was an entire episode for that and then I got to see a little part of it on DOD TV on YouTube. And so that's what captivated me to go back and want to know the backstory behind it. So it all kind of ties together, but that instant gratification, that's the key to tap into immediately. It is. And I think you'll see, you know, as we go along, if there's a storyline that's like happening to Mark or Terry or one of us throughout the season, you're going to, you're going to follow along with it through the season, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, however, it's going to end up, playing out, you're going to be able to follow along with it. So, you know, you're going to be able to get those little doses right. throughout the year, you know, every couple of days. And I think that's key. And the other thing we're going to try to do is it's not just going to be the, the, the cast from 13. So the, the jury crew, it's also going to be some of the bone madness guys, some of the critical mass guys, like we're going to mix in some of the best content from the team that's coming in through the season we're going to try to churn out some of that content. So I think it's going to be good. I, I think the audience is really going to, uh, I think there's going to be a whole new new audience that finds Drury Outdoors for the first time via YouTube. And ultimately we hope that that also 
prompt some people to go check out DeerCast and, and, and see just what that tool is and what that can do for you. Because obviously we'll be talking about that stuff, you know, inside the video content as well. So um, we're, we're excited. I think, you know, already we have two installments that are up. Austin Land, Taylor's husband, killed a 201-inch mule deer out in Utah. That episode was the first one that went up last week. And then uh, they just launched an episode a couple days ago that was kind of like a preseason uh, mark you know, doing all this preseason prep with Perry and Wade. And I think Dustin Lynch even makes an appearance there. So it's, it's cool. We're going to keep up to date with the guys throughout the season. I think, I think the audience is going to love it. Are you going to be reaching out to anybody like maybe that shoots a good deer and has a good video quality of it and um, putting in on it? They've already been doing, they've been doing that with, with some of the the critical mass stuff. They've been mixing in videos from people on there. So that's something I'd love to see you guys continue to do. Yeah, so like you're saying, like not just a Dury Outdoors That's team correct. member, but yeah. your average Joe that yes. kills something great. And yeah, so we do something on DeerCast called, well, so there's two things. There's If it's a giant deer, we have this thing called Giant Tracker, where we actually have a rider from DeerCast reach out to the person. If we see it on social media that comes across our desk somehow, we'll have a guy reach out to that person that killed the deer and do a full story on them. And, uh, and then actually something that's kind of cool that we're getting ready to unveil, but I, I don't know if you guys are, are familiar with, I'm sure you are, but uh, Kurt and the guys over at working class bow hunter, yep, yep. they're going to start doing a uh, podcast inside deer, deer cast for us where they reach out to these giant trackers and not just giant trackers, but we also have a section called the fan share where you kill, you know, anything, 120 inch of a, a, a doe, whatever you can, you can upload your own fan shares and photos and videos and stories. And we're going to start looking through that content and Kurt's going to start interviewing uh, some of those people to be kind of highlighted and featured inside DeerCast and on the Working Class uh, Bowhunter podcast. So it's pretty cool, um, you know, but you're exactly right. We want to include, we want this thing to be all inclusive. It's not just the Drury team. It's, it's, you know, there's so many great stories and great deer getting killed. I mean, it's really amazing across the country, just how many big deer are getting killed or what, something crazy that happened. You see this stuff on social media now all the time. And that's maybe the one good part about social media is, is you can see these stories, something that you would have never, ever seen before. No. Maybe unless it made, you know, North American whitetail or, you know, one of those deer and deer hunting type magazines. Right. But, you know, now with the the way technology is, we could share those stories immediately. So we're going to sure try and and uh, include anybody and everybody. Well, I know that we listened to to the uh, Outdoor Drive podcast that Working Class was on recently, and uh, Trevor and, and Stephen are some friends of ours, and they do a great job with that show. And they they interviewed the Working Class guys, and they announced that on there. And Kurt gave you know a little bit of a, a tidbit of information about it, and kind of alluded to the fact that he was going to be working on that with you guys. So you know, kudos to you guys and, and them both for for doing that. That's going to be a great thing that a lot of people are going to enjoy listening to, especially through the Deercast. The best show you guys have got though, hands down, is Critical Mass. I mean, I, I that is that is my favorite show because. It introduced me to the Steve Francis, to the, to the Sean Lundys. You know, it gave me an insight into guys that are just like us. And it gave a piece of, I guess it gave a piece of motivation to, to some, of, some of the people that were scared to try to film or scared to try to get out in the woods. And it gave them that little bit of confidence that these are just regular guys. They're, they're you know, the juries 
as a whole is a larger than life uh, a cast, and it's always been, you know, that pinnacle point at the top of the list. With Mark and Terry have been at the top of the list for so many years, and they've done such great things for the industry. And now they're kind of giving back along with you and able to put those guys that are, you know, a smaller not maybe scared uh, uh, to get in front of a camera, but they're they're kind of shy of it and they don't really know how to do it. And they get an understanding through critical mass and it gives them an opportunity to really, hey, I can do this. And I can, if you put your mind to it, if you, and it follows the whole story. And, and Steve Francis from, I think he's from Alabama. I, I, he's yeah. right next door to us here in Georgia. And for him to go out and he, I'm telling you, he thumps on some big deer every single year and he does great with his content. So it's a cool thing to see. That's my, that's my favorite show that you guys do. I've watched every episode of it since, since day one. It's my favorite. So awesome. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. That critical mass is a fun show. Like when, when Mark and I, you know, cause we proof every episode that, uh, you know, comes out of our studio and, and 13, we try to make them all different. So 13's, you know, obviously Mark and Terry and, and our content and that kind of informational side. Bow Madness is this adventure, you know, could be elk, uh, mule deer, whitetail, whatever. It's kind of this cast of, of the jury outdoors guys that have been with us for the longest. But Critical Mass is like this younger, fun, electric, you know, it's not about the biggest deer always. It's about a good time and, and, and you know, going all across the country. And I don't know, when we sit and watch and proof that show, to me, that 30 minutes flies by the quickest. Yep. It, and it just always, I always end the episode smiling. It's always, it makes me feel good at the end of the episode every time. And that that show is just really entertaining. And, and I think the cast does a really good job there, you know, and this year we got some new people on it, Bryson and Tiffany Thornton. And, you know, and, and uh, like you said, the Sean Lundy's of the world, and there was Mark Beck was new last year. So that we're always trying to bring in some new, new faces and, and keep it fresh. And I think, uh, I think that's why, you know, somebody like you gravitates towards it because it it's a little more relatable for guys like us. Right. You know what I mean? You don't have to kill, you know, Sean Lundy's never killed a monster in his life, but, but he, he loves, to, he loves shooting any deer he can get. That dude is a does. hammer when he loves it. He does. And it's relatable to a lot of people and it's just him being him. That's just his true honest self. And, and uh, you know, and I think that's, you know, being able to give a platform, because that's the tough part. I mean, a- anybody can do a, a show in the outdoors, but to have that type of platform where, you know, because our time slots are good, because we got a built-in history with the company, we, you know, the network knows that if we put something out, that's not going to be a gamble necessarily, right. you, know, you know, they can, they can count on us to deliver. And so by giving the platform to then these other guys to go out and succeed, you know, I think, I think it's good for everybody involved. They, they do a great job and hopefully we can portray their seasons in a great way for them. Tell us about, uh, DeerCast. What's, uh, what's, what's the new big phase for DeerCast? I know you and I had kind of talked earlier this year about what may be coming for it. And I got, I got, a, I got something I got to tell you. I told Greg, uh, Greg Glessinger this when we talked. I was to hoping you was going to tell I, him. I hope, I, I, hope, I hope he don't bring it up. I'm, I'm waiting. I'm going to wait and let him tell us what's new for DeerCast and then I'll throw it to him. <laughs> You're going to be a little disappointed because it's so new that we're we're so excited about it, but it has to be right. It has to be perfect before we launch it to a million plus people. Right, right. And it's just not, I mean, we could launch it, 
but it's not up to our standards. And right. we want to make sure that when you get in there and you see these updates, that it's not a bad experience for you. So we're quietly testing it this fall and I can't get into I hope it. it I hope it's that. exactly what he's about to say that he wants. So we, we talked with Greg and, and DeerCast is something I've got 35 different apps on my phone for deer hunting. I've got, you know, I run a hunt stand. I run deer cast. I'll run all my trail camera photos and everything else. And, uh, we spoke with Greg about this, that wouldn't it be amazing to be able to go to a deer cast platform and use that, but also have maps built into it and have a mapping system inside of it that would overlay data so what's happening in missouri may not be happening in north georgia what's happening in iowa may not be happening in kentucky and when i go to that map to have a clear and concise data of what's going on in my area that's that's one thing that was big for us to kind of bring up i would that that's the one thing if you guys could do i'll delete every app i got on my phone but dear cast <laughs> that's the holy grail right like combining all those apps in the one yes you know? yes and i think I think one day the technology is amazing and, uh, you know, Onyx is a great partner of ours, but all those companies, they do a great job. Like there are a lot of good apps out there. Yeah, yeah. We entered into the space back in 2018. There's just a couple, you know, HuntStand, I think was one of the major players back then and Onyx was really getting rolling and, you know, it's come a long way. There's a lot of good apps. So I think uh, the pressure is on to make sure if we ever dipped our toe into any, any of those waters that, it stood up to what people expect out there. And, and you know, that, that would definitely be an ideal scenario one day to have everything into one app and, and, uh, and be a one-stop shop for you. But, you know, make no mistake about it. I don't think we'll ever be as good as on X, you know, they, they just, the, the way that you go into the detail on that, on that app is just unbelievable. And I know there's a lot of others out there, but I, I think there's going to be a time and a place where DeerCast can be, you know, they, they hit the Western guy so well, and there's so many different apps that hit every kind of hunter. We're focused on the deer hunter, man. That's deer right. Cast. That's right. That, that, that's where we want to be. And that's what our home needs to be. And, and, and we want to stay in our lane. So I think one day you'll see us uh, try to continue to, to build up deer cast in a way that's going to help all deer hunters out there. He's saying there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> You're saying there's a chance. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I know that when DeerCast first came onto the scene for me, the the biggest benefit of it to any novice or new hunter is the educational and tutorial videos that get put into it, where they walk you through how to use those little little icons or, or how to read pressure. What does what does high barometric pressure do for me? What does hunting in a low system do for me? You know, and explaining that and being able to detail that information was the most crucial feature of DeerCast. It's all great and good to have this information, but if you don't know what to do with it, you're really shooting yourself in the foot. I, I'm so thankful that you said it in the way you said it, because we, there's so many people The the beauty of it is, you, you know, that commercial that where they hit the easy button, <laughs> that's right. You know, yeah, yeah. You wish you had the easy button. That's right. Deer cast can certainly be that for you because it kind of breaks it in a basic way. Hey, it's going to be great. It's going to be good. It's going to be poor. It's going to be bad or whatever, but there are so much more in the app to understand why. Yep. And and th there's a lot of features there that are even free. I mean, you don't have to be into the pay tiers, which I feel like are very affordable. $9.99 a year or $19.99 a year. 
I mean, you think about how much money we blow on hunting stuff. I, I blow that at Casey's on pizza on the way home from a hunt. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So I, I think, you know, to dive into the understanding your deer cast portion. And so we just we just actually, I think today is the first day. There's a new look for deer cast that you're going to see uh, going forward. So on deercast.com, the, the online version, uh, it's already launched, but your app, it'll probably be another day or two until the app version launches, but it's kind of got a little bit of a new look to it. And so going forward, the homepage is now going to be the deercast page and homepage all in the one. So originally down the bottom, you'd have your little home icon, which yep. was like the newsfeed and just the basic outlook for the, the forecast. But then there was a DeerCast icon that broke all that stuff down and then DeerCast track and, and so on and so forth. So now when you go to the homepage, it's the DeerCast icon. It's this icon for those of you watching. And uh, you get that breakdown, either your, your daily or your hourly. And then right under there, it says under the hourly, it'll say understanding your DeerCast. You click on it and you scroll left to right, kind of in a carousel style. And all those videos are, are uh, input based on the importance of that uh, specific thing in that phase. So, for instance, you guys are down in Alabama, you said. Georgia. So, so it's a little bit different obviously there could be a, you know, the ruts down there are, are depending on where you're at in the state can be way different, but you can change your peak estrus to represent what the rut is in your area. So we, we try to do our best and kind of pick general dates for general areas, but I would recommend anybody to go into their peak estrus and click it. And, and so say, uh, in Missouri and most of the Midwest, it's a November 14th is what we, what we have it set on peak estrus. That's the day where most of the deer are locked down with a doe in, in that mating cycle. All right. That's the peak. That's like when you really don't see anything, that's the peak of them being locked down. So for your area, I don't know, that may be freaking January. I don't know. You know, it's great. You know, to, to, to down there in the south, southern tip of Alabama, I know like we're, in really we're in Georgia. Really yeah, we're, we're, we're in Georgia, Georgia North Georgia. Oh, Georgia, <laughs> yeah, Georgia. Yeah. Don't, don't so, put us in the same box as, <laughs> as Steve. He's going to love us now. <laughs> yeah, so you're right. So Georgia's not as bad, but you get down to Alabama, Florida, Mississippi, like those dates really change. Awful. Well, the whole point of DeerCast is for you to be able to change your peak estrus date and so if you don't know it, you can ask like a, a local a conservation agent or, you know, ask your buddies what they feel like that peak date is. You change the date. What that does is it slides the entire scale of the phases to match your area. So that's one of the, I think, the misunderstanding that a lot of people has like, ah, deer cast is just for Mark and Terry's farm. And it's just, you know, what they see. But that's not really the case because we feel like over time we've observed deer moving in just about every place you can observe a deer move. And, and weather is a major factor for that. We can't, we can't uh, say what kind of intrusion or what kind of neighbors you have, or, right. you know, dogs run through the, pro we can't account for that. But what we can account for is the weather variables that make deer move. And this is based off of, you know, 70 combined years of those guys, looking at this data or, or sitting in the stand, you got to understand they're out there four months out of the year paying attention to this stuff. And 
when trail cameras really became popular, say a decade or, or so ago, it really put two and two together for them. And they really started to understand what they were missing that evening, you know, the overnight movement was, you know, back then, if you didn't see anything in the day, you just said, they just didn't move today. That's right. You didn't know how well they moved at night. So it really allowed them to put all these things together and understand that deer movement. So going back to peak estrus, we've broke down the season to these 13 phases. That's what the show 13 is about. And we feel like weather variables, deer react differently in different parts of the phases. And it doesn't have to be just a Midwestern deer. Uh, it, it, it doesn't have to be a public deer. It's just deer. These are just deer move based on these patterns. And so if you check your peak gastro state and you move it to what it is on your, in your area, it will slide that whole phase scale to be lined up to what our phases are. So phase one, you know, you know, might, might move a whole month for you a month later for you than it is for us based on that peak estrus. But the reason why all that's important is because the phase, this, how the whole, you know, this is the basis of the algorithm that the prediction that it's pumping out. So then at that point you're hunting, you set your location, you've set your peak estrus and the weather variables they re the deer react differently to those weather var variables in different parts of the phases. Right. So in phase one cloud cover might be a positive for you. Whereas in the late season, you know, cloudy, you know, dreary day kind of sucks. That's you know right. what I mean? So early season, because it's so hot, you get cloud cover in that might make them get up on their feet and really get, get moving. So we've accounted for all those things. And when you go to your understanding deer cast, you look at it and those we break down each weather variable for that phase and tell you why it's important. So if clouds are rolling in and we say phase one, that's important. Well, that's going to be the first video you see in understanding your deer cast and Mark and Terry are trying to, to help uh, give you the information that they've learned over these 70 combined years. And then you can start looking at the weather variables yourself and decide if your deer are reacting the same way or not, that they're giving you the tools to try to put all this information together and ultimately just become a better hunter, become more efficient with your time. And that's, that's really the basis for deer cast, becoming more efficient with your time and understanding deer hunting just a little bit better. It's almost a one-stop shop for the educational purpose for anybody that wants to get into deer hunting. If you're not in the knowledge basis for for deer hunting and you're new to it and you don't have that app you're really selling yourself short and I it's we get a lot of comments from uh hunter's ed teachers that use it for their classes i'm sure and, and it's not just for that reason but deer cast track which is another portion of the app you can move a reticle across this 2d deer and peel away the entire layer outside layer and see all the organs all the vitals and then when you place that reticle where you feel like you hit the deer it'll populate uh, from a couple hundred videos that we have of different hits all across the body on a deer and then four expert trackers will tell you what you hit what kind of blood you need to look for what kind of wait time you need to leave that deer i mean it's just it's 
for a new hunter and even an experienced oh, hunter, absolutely. I mean, yeah. most experienced hunter, it's so valuable to be able to just look at that. Even while you're sitting in a stand and say nothing's moving, you're looking at this and trying to find out, okay, if I hit him here, what would happen? If I hit him there, what would happen? Quartering two, quartering away, what kind of, what does that do to my shot? And it's just an educational tool that I can 100% say that there is not another tool out there that on that deer cast track, I mean, it's such an undervalued thing. There's not another tool out there in the world that can give you that much information in the palm of your hand as deer cast track can. It's like, it's its own app, right. but it it's built into all these other great functions and features. So it's, it's that alone is worth it. Especially if you've hit a deer and you're just not quite sure you always got a buddy that you call or, or text and ask for advice well, here's one more thing that you can go look at and say, oh, okay, here, here's what they said. You know, this might help me in my opinion on how I'm going to go track this deer. To me, that's been the, the biggest help, the learning of the weather. I mean, we hear about the high pressure, low pressure, the, the weather phases and going through the 13 phases. And you made a key point there, the way cloud cover affects early season, it's cooling it off sooner. So the deer are going to be moving sooner in the evenings. Later season, it's blocking that heat, so they're not wanting to get out. They got to get out, eat quick, and get back to bed so they don't get cold. So, for what for what Deercast is bringing to, for what Deercast has brought already to the hunting industry, the future is going to be even bigger. Is what you're saying? That's the that's the big thing for me. That's the one. It, it, is that illuminated hat? Do you have a battery in that hat, or is that <laughs> it just looks a, like it does? It does. It does. I thought, Damn. man, he's got he's got a battery in his hat where it's glowing, but. I mean, for what for what the whole scope of it's been and what I want anyone that's listening to this episode to understand is Matt's just a regular guy like the rest of us. He's he's came up in a hunting family like we did, but in a different way and and taking it all the way back to the beginning, your passion was seated and rooted in you and you and you got you got that fire that lit inside of you. Now, as we all do through our teenage years, we try to find ourselves and we're we're diminishing but we always go back to what the root cause of everything we grew up, you know, for you, it's been the hunting industry and, and your, your faith in your family. And that's, that's one thing that I've, I've always applauded you guys. Like I said earlier, that's a, that's a big thing for me. And to see you carrying on to this next generation of hunter, the way that you do, man, hats off to you. You got, you got a couple of mid 30 year old guys here that are right in the same range as you. So we're cheering you on. I appreciate it. it it's, um, I know this, I got a long ways to go because I, I, that, that's one of the things that in the last five years, I've, I've learned a, a lot hunting. A, I got a lease there kind of about an hour, 20 minutes away from my house. So I spend most of my time there at the lease when I do get to hunt. When I started, it was always with dad and it was kind of a, you know, as, as I'm sure you guys can relate when you're hunting with your dad, it's just like you kind of hunt his way, his style. That's right. But but once you kind of start going off on your own and getting a feel for the way you you want to do it and, and start putting together uh, a plan of attack and and plant this because uh, you had a hunch that this is where it needed to go or a stand needs to go here, place the, the camera there. Those are all things that, you know, I, I'm learning every day and, and, and have a long way to go here to ever be on the level that those guys are on. But I kind of take solace in the fact that when I look back at it, when they started the company, Mark, Mark was 20, 23, 24, Terry was 33, 34. They, they didn't really start hitting their stride 
until their forties, you know, fifties. So I'm not too far behind. (laughs) (laughs) They made it, they made it difficult because they're so good at it, but I always got to put it in perspective. I got plenty of time to to keep learning and, and, and honing in on this, on this thing we call hunting. Well, since you brought your dad up, I knew when Alex had told me that he'd got in contact with you, I wanted to share this quick story real quick. Um, so several years ago, I had came home from Illinois from a trip that I was on, and I didn't, I wasn't successful. And I came home, and always around hunting season, I'm, I'm locked to the TV. I'm always watching hunting shows. And I wish I could remember the year it was, but I was watching your dad hunt, and there was this buck that come out in the field. And as it come out in the field, it started walking away. And he said, once it walks away, I'm going to rattle. And he said, I don't never like to rattle when a deer can see me. He said, I like for him to get away. So as, as that deer got around the corner, he rattled and it came back in. He shot it. The very next morning, I got up and went and hunted a piece of property I had. And I had a deer come in. It was a small buck. Well, I missed it with my bow. And it just took a couple steps and it went down the hill. And I remembered. And I just happened to have that old rattle bag with me. <laughs> and that deer walked off that hill out of sight. And I hit that rattle bag and it came right back up there. And I shot it and killed it. That's, that's awesome, that's man. That's no joke, awesome. man. Yep. And that's been that's been several years that's ago. Been I, several, 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 I actually got the deer right over there on that uh, stand. So I remember I remember you talking about that, but I'd never heard that story yeah. that you'd learned that from. from I Mark, sure did, man. Mark, that's pretty cool. No, t- uh, Terry. Oh, it was Terry. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But I, I yeah, want- that's awesome. I'll share that with him. And that's the thing. I think you know, Mark's always been known as that big buck killer, and he's got ice run through his veins. But I think a lot of people can relate to Terry in a lot of respects because it's not always he's had some, you know, hits and misses and, you know, he's, it's not always automatic with him. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't think people know this, but he's, he's left-handed, but he's right eye dominant. And that, that shooting a bow like that, it's always kind of played heck with him. And, and, and uh, so, you know, I think people relate to dad in a lot of ways because it doesn't, he's not always killed the biggest deer. He's not always, you know, he's not always had the easiest way when he, when a deer comes in, but you can always get behind him when he finally succeeds and you, you feel good for him and, and, and about him. And, and, uh, he's just really relatable yeah. and not that Mark isn't Mark, Mark's just, he's so talented. He's almost at this next level. You, you know what I mean? It's, it's hard for a lot of people to, to, um, it's hard to aspire to be that good because he is that good. But Terry, it's like I can relate to Terry. Yeah, he's, like, <laughs> he's like an uncle yeah. that you've got that you go to deer camp with and sit around. Oh, he's it, the fun uncle, believe me. <laughs> I, I do got a question. I was going to lead into that with me telling you that story. Do you have a favorite hunt with your dad? You know, there's a couple that come to mind uh, throughout the the kind of history of the company. The the first one would have been when I finally did kill a deer. And it was, like I said, five, four, five, six years of hunting, you know, of, of never really even having a good opportunity. And uh, we finally connected over Pike County, uh, Illinois. And uh, I shot one with my bow. I was 15 years old. It was right there, right before dark. And um, it was on the first dream season title ever. It was a VHS title at that time. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget it. We, you know, we go back to camp. We get Tad Brown, who's a good friend of ours, and Mike Joggers, who's a good friend of ours. They help us recover the deer. Starts kind of raining. You know, at the end of the night, we went to a pizza hut there, and um, I'm trying Pittsfield. And we sat and we told stories, and, you know, they had a couple beers, and I had some sodas, and, <laughs> you know, we just enjoyed I felt like I was 
one of the guys, yeah. you know what I mean? And I accomplished something that dad and I, he was proud and I was proud that I, of myself, that I could just do it, frankly. And that's the first good memory of, of hunting that I have. And then kind of fast forwarding, um, the biggest deer I ever killed was uh, about three or four years ago. And it was, I think the year that he fell from the tree stand and he wasn't out hunting much. And, and he was just, it was, he, you know, we were just happy that he was with us. You know what I mean? And, and, and we got really lucky and we kill that deer and uh, go recover it together and just celebrating the big, biggest deer of my life. And, and, one of the biggest deer ever killed on the farm. And it was just a real happy moment for the two of us together. And uh, just those, those are the, the moments that I can't imagine, you know, now more and more, I'm not in hunting camp with, with him as much because I'm hunting my own dirt and we're not really proximity wise, very close to each other, but those memories are always the most cherished that I have. And and now today, you know, like, Two years ago, I killed a deer and I got to take my son up and 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 do the photo shoot and we enjoyed the day together. And it's just like, all right, I've kind of been under his wing for so long. And now it's time for me to put my son and, and daughter under mine and, and start our own new memories. And uh so it's it's kind of like, all right, I get it. It's passing of the baton and it's it's my turn now. Well, that's awesome, man. Um, hey, I always end with a few questions. I actually got more than I usually just asked Toby, but I want to ask you a few more real quick. Turkey hunting or deer hunting? Turkey. Oh, God. That's the whole really? family. That's God. how it started. Marty, here I we knew go. that was good. I, this is, here comes it's, another it's one. It's not even close either. I mean, I, I love deer hunting, and I love the – I get jacked up, <laughs> you know, when I shoot a deer. But turkey hunting is such a social uh, tradition for us there's nothing like it in our family. I mean, that, that is our beginning. And it's, 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 uh, I just, I can never describe that feeling to somebody that's never turkey hunting. Like it's just, they don't understand it. I, I have a hard time explaining it, but there's something about hearing that gobble or that spit and drumming, like, you know, five yards from you, you can't see the bird. Like it's the most intense moment you can't move your ground level you know i mean it's just that's hard to beat man hey real quick and we don't have to go into this long rabbit hole but i know i've heard a couple of recent podcasts with with uh mark talking about it um and the turkey decline across the, the united states basically what do you what's your take on that well based on look i'm not smart enough to be able to give you a, <laughs> a, a take of my own all yeah. i could do is regurgitate the info that i'm sure. hearing but like Dr. Grant Woods, we've had him on our podcast, the 100% Wild podcast. We, I just was at a Winchester summit where he was at the other day, and th- there's there's a lot of factors. You know, we we try to get not only you know you could look and get your information for yourself and just see like plain and simple. We're not seeing as many turkeys as we used to. That's one piece of evidence. But why? What's the? There's something going on. So so you start digging in. It's like okay, well there's a few things going on. There's a rise in predators, predation. So not just coyotes and stuff like that, but you're you're talking about like coon, like nest predators, right. like coons are horrible, possums, like those types of things. And that's goes with the decline of you know trapping, right? right. So you have the rise in predation. Uh, you have uh, habitat shrinking at an alarming rate. 
And then uh, one of the things that Dr. Grant and Mark and uh, Dr. Aaron Gaines uh, out of uh, the analogics camp have started to talk about are uh, neonics. And it's, it's these, the seeds that we're planting for corn and beans and all these seeds that are, uh, you know, have this coating on them. They're there to, that coating kills, you know, pests, you know, the, the uh, insects and, and all these types of things. Well, that could be, it's very early on and there's some studies on it, but there's not enough yet, but it's looking like that could be a factor as well. How much or how little, we don't know yet, but basically you think about it, they're killing, it's killing off all the insects and what's eating those insects, turkeys, right? Well, what else, what else are the turkeys eating? Well, you know, if you've ever watched a planter come through in the spring, you see all those turkeys out in those fields, picking, 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 you know, they're, they're eating that stuff. So it's a, it's a concern. And, and we talked about our podcast and we put a post out there on social media and we kind of got hammered a little bit from the farming community and we're not placing blame on them. Like that's the, that's what everybody uses, right? That's what's available to them. And, uh, but there, there, there is some concern there and over in Europe, they've actually banned a lot of that stuff because it was uh, killing the honeybee population. Yep. You know, and you hear about that. So there, there's something to it. And I think, um, you know, um, with with people like Dr. Grant on the case, I think we're going to hear a lot more about it in the future. And there's going to be more studies done on it. But I, I think um, there's a lot to be concerned about. Uh, and and if we don't act, you know, we could be in a scenario where we're back to these low populations all over. And I've seen something out there where people were blaming shows like the hunting public and, and, um, and even like Mark and the Turkey tour, that's a whack, you know, like that's a really whack take on it. Like these guys are killing a a, a limit, you know, in, in a bunch of different States. It's not like they're killing thousands of birds. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's just a really, I think that's a, um, a lame way, way out, so to speak. That's right. That's right. It is. And it's a way that, people divide the hunting community and that's it, these these negative just it grates at me i won't, no, I won't no. get started on it but these people <laughs> that you. bash people online when they you know you got a, a 14 year old kid that goes out and kills a four-pointer for his first deer and people bash that kid for you know he shouldn't be doing that when i killed my first deer it was a six-pointer that wouldn't have weighed 100 pounds total weight and i was the happiest kid in the world oh, and, and yeah. if i had the, the bubble busting in the i don't know i won't go down that <laughs> rabbit hole but it's sad i mean and that's that's the difference that you guys you guys do a very good job about boasting up anyone that that does it for their way and you made a key point a minute ago about the memories that you're making. And we always say on the show when we end it, don't forget to mount the memories and these deer heads on the wall right here. Yeah, that's a great thing to look at, but Nick can look at both of these deer and he can go back right back to the moment that he was at. And he mounted that memory. He didn't mount a deer. That's a memory he took. So that's right. That's right. That's the best way to look at it. You know, you, you know, say something happens, you have a fire or whatever, that stuff, that's, that's gone, but you can't, you can't take it away from here you know, from, from your mind. And that's, that's the beauty of it. So I think people, I, I, you know, it's tough because social media allows a lot of people to have a voice, which is great, but you also have to understand, like, I always try to think about it like, okay, uh, this, this guy 
reminds me of somebody I knew one, you know, one time in my, you know, former life. And, and I have an opinion about that person because I formed it by knowing them in person. And he might, maybe this person was a little bit crazy. Well, now this person can speak to millions of people. That's you, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's, that's the, the thing with social media before they could never, you just, the crazies couldn't get together. Now the crazies can. And, <laughs> uh, and, and the crazy always rises to the top, meaning like that's what always stands out because you're just like, Holy cow. Like how could somebody be this out there? Well, there's a lot of people that are just this out there and well, you got to ignore it. And so like on our platforms, we don't really tolerate much of that. Like I'm all for, people voicing concerns or opinions, but you know, the cussing or the bashing, or we just ban them. Like there's no room for it. We don't, we don't need you. You know what I mean? I'm not that hard up to have a follower to to listen to your BS. So (laughs) I love it. I love that, that, that take on it. Cause that's how we are. I mean, we're just, I'm sorry. It's here. We're here to be a positive influence and taking notes of what you guys have done for 30 plus years. That's the, that's the beauty of it. And that's what we, Hey, you don't like it don't listen there's a thousand <laughs> other podcasts you can listen to and if you weed those things if you weed those people out and you keep weeding them out as time progresses all of a sudden before you look at it you got a really positive community that's right and that's that's really what deercast is like you it's rare when you see a negative comment in deercast and and that's what we've tried to create in there is a positive community for people to get together and share deer hunting stories turkey hunting stories and that's what it's been, man. So it's, it's, I think, I think there's places out there for us. You just got to look for them. That's right. Well, just like I told you a second ago and you, and you've been, you've got more advice from two of the best people in the industry that could possibly give you advice. But is there one piece of advice that they've always given you or always shown you that you've taken with you and used every day of your life or even just in outdoors? Yeah, I think the advice that they've given me, like you said, there's more, there's more little things that I, that I can take, you know, and put together and, and, and try to be a better hunter. But the, the better advice is life advice. That's right. That's right. And, and one of the, the best things that I ever was taught two two things, if you don't know the answer, don't say, you know, the answer and give an answer. If you don't know the answer just say, you know what, let me check on that and get back to you. That's right. That's number one. And number two is answer the bell. And what that means is I don't care what you did the night before but you better be here and you better be early. (laughs) So those things can, can uh, benefit you no matter what you do in life, whether you're hunting, whether you're at work, what, what, whether it's with your family, whatever they, those things can benefit you in life. And answer the bell was one that I've uh, you know, that I, that I, it really stuck with me, especially when I was a young 20 year old uh, starting to work for them at trade shows. (laughs) That's, that's a good piece of advice. And like you said, anybody that, that's listening to this or watches your stuff can go to DeerCast and get those extra tips, just like I got from watching your dad hunt before. And you know, and I'm sure your dad is is I'm sure he's beyond blessed with what he's been able to do for people. But for him to be able to hear stories probably across the United States of stuff like that that he's helped people with, probably just puts a you know a special place in his heart too. So it's why they do it, man. That's, that's it's right. Why they do it? You know, it's a hunting the hunting industry. They didn't get in it. The industry didn't really exist when they got in it. So that's not why they got in it. And, you know, that's something that I think gets lost on today's generation. It's like, oh man, Mark and Terry are hunting all these acres and all these big deer, and they got everything they could ever ask for and big sponsors. It didn't start that way. They had to that's work right. to get that. 
you see my daughter here. <laughs> well, I got and she's coming to visit. I just got one final question for you, man. What are you most thankful for? And she's probably right there in your arms. There's no doubt. Most yeah. thankful for the family. Yeah. And, and it's not just the my wife and my kids, but right. the family, you know, Mark, Terry, my grandma, grandpa, like family is what our whole bond is. That's how we've created what we've created. And uh, that's the key. That's the key to any success. Man, I'll let Alex finish up, but I do. I just want to say thank you so much for coming on and spending the time. I know you got to go get back with the kids before it's time to go to bed. So thank you. That's right. No, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Matt, like I said at the beginning of the show, for you to take your time away from your family, you know, and spend it with us for the last hour, it's been a it's been a humbling experience to say the least. And we can't thank you enough for that opportunity. And you know, we look forward to seeing y'all's continued success. And and maybe we can get, get up with you down the road again <laughs> for sure. That's right. I look forward to it. I really appreciate you guys uh, taking the time to talk to me today. And I hope that you follow along with Deer Season 21 because it's going to be a wild ride. <laughs> hey, everybody, you better follow along. The man just spoke. So, Matt Drury, <laughs> thanks for coming on and being with us tonight. And we'll be talking to you soon. See you, man. Thank you, guys. All right. Be Thank safe you. this year. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, Y'all too. too. Good luck. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, little miss. <laughs> All right, everybody, dude, dropping <laughs> word for word, dropping knowledge and and bringing a an amazing life lesson to what we could all take away from. And that that answer the bell. He named his episode itself. Right. It always gets down to the end. And and you know, to hear him tell the story of how he began mm-hmm. and come full circle to me that was that was very surprising to me. But it was also very refreshing because I know there's a lot of lot of people out there, in, including myself, that have had experiences in their life where they got away from a passion or they got away from something. And what, what took them away from it? What nuance happened or what negative effect happened to get them away from that and to come full circle back into it? You always come back to where the root of your passion is. Yeah, some people just got to go see what the other side offers, you know, and then come back just like he did. I mean, he had he had to outdoor industry kind of you know right there at him but he come right back and and he does a phenomenal job man he's a great speaker and um look forward to talking to him many more times yeah and i think the biggest thing for us is is to take away from this a better understanding of who matt jury is he's not a shadow of terry and mark he is a he is a, a a foundation of himself and he's building a platform for himself. And, and as I said in the beginning of the show, he is carving and etching his name into the outdoor industry in a way that's so positive and it brings such a just bright, vibrant. The dude's just a vibrant, bright guy. He's smiling the whole time. And I can't wait to get this episode he never, put on. And we've had people on this bef- on the episode before, but he never took it as it was I. It wasn't I. No, there was never an I in it. It was all about the team. It was all about the people that he's been surrounded with. And But I don't take Matt as a coattail rider. You know, I've heard people say, well, you're just successful because of what your dad and, and, and uncle did. No, I don't take that at all. Matt would have been successful in doing anything that he did because he's a very driven individual. And to see him be able to fully encompass his entire life back to this point. Dude's 40 year old. He's got a lot of hammering. I forgot do. one thing, man. I wish we'd call him back. No, no, I forgot to tell him to go Braves. All that Cardinal stuff was that Cardinal stuff yeah. in the background. I knew, I knew he was a baseball player, and I, and we ran a little long on time there. And and I wanted him to be able to get back to his family, and for him to be able to take that time and give us a piece of that 
that just means a lot to to both of us. I know, and I know you loved hearing him tell that he likes turkeys over. I'm deer. telling you, boy, you gonna get on board for long. <laughs> oh God, here we go again. Back to turkey talk. Four days before deer season <laughs> opens. Uh uh. Well, oh, Waddy couldn't be with us tonight. He's uh he had to run down to the store. Yeah, had, had to, to run a few get, things. get him a gallon of milk out in <laughs> so. out in Colorado, but. I tell you, it was a it was a great night, and um, I appreciate I you setting that up with him. Yeah, and I can't thank Matt Jury and, and the entire jury uh, jury team for being so supportive of what we've done. That's the third member, and I would say the the third of many that we'll get to speak with over the years because they're fun. I, I we've not had a I, and I wouldn't have expected any different. I would have not expected it to go any other way. I know this. I know this ain't live again, but you reckon Greg's knocking down a big muley yet? I don't know. I, I, you know, I talked to Casey. Um, we might be looking out for a YouTube. For- I was, I was messaging back and forth um, with uh, with Casey when we told him when they got back. Well, I wanted to set something up and do an episode with him, and he was like, "Heck yeah!" You might see a deer season twenty one coming soon. Oh, we would be good. <laughs> our, our old buddy, and you know, thankful to everybody out there, Sean, Greg, uh, and, and Matt for for supporting what we're trying to do, and and especially Greg. You know, I know. It's it's not easy for him to keep up with everything that's going on, but you know, Greg, if you hear this episode, we can't thank you enough for your continued support here. And uh, hey, I noticed something that was on your head uh, tonight on our first video video podcast that a uh, full draw assassin. Hat. That's right, I got it broke in. So Golly. I shot with it yesterday, and man, is that going to be the opening day? I hat? believe it is. Oh my goodness, <laughs> Derek Lewis, y'all hear that? He, he's got it. He's got it on his head. He's saying that might be the hat to wear opening day. Well, I tell you what hat I'm gonna have on that old rotten Tink '69 oh, hat, 2010 to 21. I hope you crushed it. <laughs> well, I've had to crush it in the washing machine a few times already, so it's it's about to fall apart on me. But for everybody here at Talk About It Outdoors, we want to thank you for coming back and being with us for another amazing episode. If you would go over to all our social media platforms, continue to share with your friends, tell them about what's going on here because. I tell you what, we're ramping up for an amazing year. Uh, we're coming up on on probably seventy episodes by the by the end of this month. And for once, we reached the pinnacle point of fifty. It's been nothing but wide open ever since. And I'm glad to be on this journey with you, old buddy. That's right. Once again, it's uh it's here. Dear hey guys, twenty one. <laughs> take a second and go over to uh, Apple Podcasts, scroll down, and uh, leave us a review on there if you don't mind. Yeah, if you hear something that you like, make sure you send us a message. If you want to hear more of that content, make sure you send us over a message. And I'll tell you somebody else that I talked to this week, um, old Cal with the Whitetail Properties. He he's reached out to me and sent me a bunch of pictures after his amazing uh, prairie grouse and upland grouse and and mountain chicken roosters or whatever he called them that he was chasing out there in Colorado this week. So thankful, thankful he shared that with us, and uh, look forward to talking to him more soon. So. As I said at the beginning of the episode, this one's brought to you by Legendary Leasing. Those guys are doing some amazing things with leasing properties across Kentucky, Illinois, and Missouri at this time. They've got great opportunities for weekly, yearly leases. You can find them on Instagram at Legendary Leasing. If you want to get in touch with them or you're interested in a property, you can send us a message and we'll hook you up with Alan. Matt Jennings with the games also partnered up with him on that. Matt hammered a great deer in Tennessee. I can't forget to shout our boy out on that. A velvet opener. He went traced a bear didn't get on a bear but he's in kentucky as we speak right now trying to get it done again and uh we wish him continued success into this season and congratulations to him on the uh, addition of a, a new one that's coming into their family i'm i'm glad that he was sharing that with us way before they put it out on social media so 
congrats to him and Macy on that. But as I said, we thank you for being with us again tonight, and we look forward to talking to everybody real soon. So for everybody here at Talk About It Outdoors, we want to remind you to smile as you go, and don't forget, mount the memories. <laughs>